time? How are you today? Good to see you. You look good. Yeah. Good to see you, buddy. Well, hey, I wanted to just mention this on the, on the front end of the message today. Um, this just developed yesterday. Uh, Brad Zook, our campus pastor for our Elkhorn campus, was a part of a meeting yesterday um, connecting with some other um, pastors in the Elkhorn area, and they're coordinating some relief efforts for those um, that are being impacted by the floods. You know, as you know, widespread flooding all over the place, southwest, everywhere, and um, particularly those in Waterloo and Valley, our Elkhorn campus um, will likely uh, be able to be used as a, as a place for us to be able to help out in those efforts. So that's, um, we're just excited about being able to be a part of that, and um, even, you know, before that campus launches for us to be able to be engaged with that is, is great. So we're going to keep you posted. I'm sure there'll be volunteer opportunities as these weeks and months go on um, for us to be engaged as a church, so we'll keep you just informed um, as, as that happens, okay? Um, well, we've been in a journey together this last month and a half. We've been going through the book of James, and one of the things that we just love, and we've said over and over about the book of James is this, is that it's blatantly practical, but it's also incredibly helpful. It's one of those books that you just go, okay, I know where I stand, and I know, okay, this is how I can continue to pursue Jesus Christ in my life. The thing that I appreciate, again, just reminded over and over again as we've gone through this book, is that the wisdom of God is so priceless. You know, when God speaks to us in this book, and the way that can impact our life, it is, it is absolutely incredible. So even in, just in this series, in the, the first um, several times we've been going through this book, in the first week we saw that James began to address some things very practically to our lives. He said, hey, if you go through a trial, just to review, maybe you missed a couple of weeks. He said, if you go through a trial, this is what you do. When you experience trials, and we all experience trials, he said, this is how you go about them. Or he said, when you're tempted... And we all experience temptation from uh, at different places in our lives, at different degrees. And, and he said, when you're tempted, this is what you do. And so we saw God's wisdom on that subject. And then as Mark said, we then got into chapter 2 a little bit. We said, okay, what's the difference between being a good listener of God's word and then actually being a person that's a doer? What's the difference between being just a listener and a doer? So a person who says this, when God speaks... How do I respond? We said as a church, we want to ask that question. When God speaks, how do we respond? And then when we got to chapter 2, we looked at the whole topic of favoritism. And it was very clear in James chapter 2 that God shows no favoritism. That we worship this God, this God that looks at all people the same. And so we said, and we even highlighted one of our values as a church, and that value is that all people matter to God. And so we want to ask this question as a church. If Jesus were me, who would he see? So if Jesus was going through his day, who would he see, who would he notice? Because if the gospel, if the message of Jesus has captured my heart, then I'll begin to see people as Jesus Christ sees them. And then we looked at, as we continued on, we looked at what's the difference between fake faith and authentic faith? What's the difference between having a true faith that it's a lie and people know that I'm following Jesus because my faith is a faith of action? And then James got very practical with us as we got into chapter 3, and Tim led us in this one, and it was all about the power of words. That your words have the power to do one of two things. Either they're going to build or they're going to destroy. In a very graphic way, James painted that picture in our minds, and then just last week, Blaze led us as we looked at the difference between worldly wisdom and wisdom that's from God. And there's a big difference, a very important difference. So that's where we've been. And the thing that I really appreciate about this book is that you and I can open the scriptures together. And we can do this each and every week. We can spend 30 minutes looking at maybe 10 verses together. And we can walk away and those 10 verses in God's word can deeply impact our lives. We can walk out of here and go, okay, I know 
where I stand with God, and I know how God wants to mold me and shape me for the week to come. And that's really tied to our mission. You know, we want to be a church that we lean in, Brookside, we lean in and we say, Lord, our mission is to help people find and follow you. And so, Lord, would you this morning help us follow you? We have found you, Lord. Would you help us follow you? Would you help us to become more and more like you? And I thank God that every time we say a prayer like that and we have a request like that, God answers it. And so even before we jump into our text this morning, would you pray with me now? And let's just go before the Lord with that kind of a spirit that says, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? So yeah, why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, first, we just want to lay a knee of our community before you. Father, we pray for those that have been impacted by all the flooding, people in our own church that are being impacted, people in our city that have been impacted. And Lord, we pray that they would sense more than anything this morning, that they would sense the very real reality of your presence, of your peace, and of your grace. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that you're giving us already to engage in that. And we pray that that would just continue. And we pray that many of these people that have been impacted by floods would look around and they would see that the church rises up. And the church is so helpful in that. So, Father, thank you for it. And, Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, we simply say, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Lord, we want to lean in. God, we want to hear from you. You say in your word that, that you honor those, that you esteem those who humbly tremble at your word. And so, Lord, this morning we come and we just say, God, you're smarter than us. You're wiser than us. You gave us so much in your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we're all yours. Would you speak to us now? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, go ahead and flip with me, if you would, to James chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1 this morning in, in James chapter 4. Now, let me ask you this, though. If I said to you this morning, if I said, hey, would you like to have the best relationships in your life? If you, if you could have the, the best marriage, would you want it? If you could have, in the category of friendships, if, if you could have the best kind of friendships in your life, would you choose to have those? If you could go to work and have such healthy relationships that you would say, wow, these relationships fall in the category, these are the best, this is the, the best relationships I could have. I know this would be true, regardless of how young or how old you are, we would all say, yes, we would want that to be true. Yes, we would want to engage in that. But know this, as a pastor, see this over and over again. The, the issue that we're going to deal with this morning, those people that have the best relationships in their life, they deal with this issue. The people that go through life, whether it is in marriage, or whether it is with friends, or whether you know, it's at school or at work, the people that deal with the issue head on that we're going to deal with this morning end up having the kind of relationships that you look at them and you go, that's a really good, that's a really healthy relationship. The area that we're going to look at this morning that James is going to bring right to our attention is the whole area of conflict. What do you do when you're in the midst of conflict? Do any of you have any conflict in your life right now? If you're in conflict, sometimes you feel this way. You wonder, how do I get out of this? I feel stuck. I know I go through seasons like that. It's like sometimes you get into a conflict and you just wonder, okay, well, how do we make, how do we sort this out? How do we get through this? There's no age restriction on conflict. And so often when you're in the midst of conflict, it tears you apart internally, doesn't it? You can go through life and you can have other relationships and they can even be clicking right along. But if you have conflict in an important area of your life, it eats at you from the inside. And that's what James is going to talk to us about this morning. Any good counselor will say to you this. They'll say, hey, if you've got conflict or anger in your life, 
That's just a symptom of something that's actually a bigger deal, something that's under the hood. The conflict is just kind of being on the outside, but what's under the hood is very, very important. That's what James is going to talk to us about this morning. And I hope that you'll leave here with one key question in your mind this morning. And this is where James is going to drive our text this morning. It's this question, who has your heart? Who has your heart? Because what James knows is this, is that, that, that we have conflicts, and we're going to experience conflict in our life, but there's something much greater that's at the heart of that issue. And the key question is this, who has your heart? And James is going to push us to Jesus Christ this morning. He's going to push us, hey, your heart should be surrendered to Jesus Christ, and he's going to tell us even how to do that. So let's read this text. We're going to start in verse 1, chapter 4. He says this, he starts with the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasure. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore... Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then the last verse we'll look at this morning, he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Notice verse 1. Let's start there. Notice that James leads this whole thing with this question. The question is this. He says, hey, what, about, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Think about the conflicts that you face in your life right now. Think about what causes them. Sometimes you see a conflict coming. Sometimes you can anticipate that there's going to be a conflict. Other times it's kind of like driving in Omaha and hitting a pothole. You didn't know, but you felt it, right? Anybody lose the whole front of their car this week? I mean, it can happen. Yeah, right? I mean, it just comes up on you. Sometimes you go through a conflict because you need to. There are righteous reasons to have conflict sometimes. Jesus said very confrontational things at times because he needed to, because he wanted to move people in the right direction. James is not speaking to that in this text. James is speaking to a group of people that are having conflicts, not for righteous reasons, but they're having conflicts because something's broken on the inside. And so James drives us to the core of what's underneath the hood. Who has your heart? Look at verse 1. The second part of it. James says, don't they, these conflicts, come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, what's at the root is what we have to ask that question. The, the Greek word there for desires means this. It's where we get the word that, uh, that we use. It's called hedonism. Hedonism simply is this. It's a philosophy that says, if I get to the end of my life and all of my uh, desires and my passions and, and all the things that I wanted, my pleasures, if, if I have all of those things, I've lived a good life. That's hedonism. What James is saying is this. He's saying, if your number one goal in life is to please you, then you 
are your own God. And the God that he's talking about, Jesus Christ, is not your God because he doesn't have your heart. If you just desire to please yourself, then life's all about you. And if life's all about you, then you are your own God. That's hedonism. Imagine this. Imagine a husband or a wife saying to the other, I'll never put your needs before my own. Hey, we just got married, but I just want to tell you right on the front end, I will never put your needs before my own. Can you imagine that? Imagine saying to one of your friends, hey, we've been friends for a while, but I just want you to know, if things ever get hard, I will never put your needs before my own. Imagine somebody in the church, look at somebody else in the church. Hey, if you go through a trial together, things get a little rocky, I just want you to know, I will never put your needs before my own. This sounds absurd, doesn't it? And we would never verbalize those words, but James, he's a loving pastor to a church, and he's saying to his people, hey, sometimes with your actions, you actually sound like that. You say these kinds of things. He's saying, hey, when you do that, when life is more about you than others, you're your own God, and God needs your heart. Isn't it true, though, that the best churches, the very best churches, isn't it true that the best marriages, isn't it true that the best friendships in your life, they're the ones where the people have this kind of an attitude. How can I outserve you? It's the kind of relationships where you look at the other person and you just say, and that could be a person that you know or even a person that you don't know, and you can say, hey, I wonder what need they have that I might be able to meet. I wonder how I can step into that. But in order to do that, and we see this in this passage, we have to address what's going on in us. What are our desires? Because what our desires are say a whole lot about who has our heart. I was at one of our, our, well, I was at our oldest son's wrestling meet a couple of weeks ago, and I had an experience that brought this to life for me. My son got up to wrestle, and um, when you're at a wrestling meet, you can tell pretty quickly who the parents are of the kids that are out on the mat. Because they're loud in that moment, right? When their child's out there. I don't know about you what your experiences are, but watching your kids in these kinds of activities, sometimes it's really fun. Sometimes it's like putting your heart on the freeway, you know? Um, you know, you want them to, you know, to excel, and you want to defend them, and you want to see their character built, and, and all of these good things, right? And so it's, it's one of those kind of like, I enjoy this, but wow, this is really challenging at times. So the match got started, and, and pretty soon the score was two to two, because... The kid that my son was wrestling got two penalties called on him for locking hands. And I could tell very quickly who this kid's dad was because he was so loud. He kept yelling at the refs. He was upset that this, his kid was being called for these penalties. And it was just, he totally deserved to be called for these penalties. Anyway, so, anyway, so he, he, he's upset. And I could tell he was upset because he moved on from the penalties that my son was getting points for to start you know, laying into my son. And so he said this to the ref. He said, he's stalling. He's stalling. He kept yelling. He's stalling. The ref, like, he looked at me. It was that big a deal. And the first few times I thought, oh, he's not stalling. He's actually doing a really good job. He's getting up to his face. He's hanging so I'm really proud of him. He's doing great, you know? And, um, but he, he, he did it again. He's stalling. He's stalling. And I couldn't take it anymore. I'm going to be fired. Just tell me about it. So in that moment, in that moment, I said, out loud, I said, he's not stalling. Not even close. <laughs> then I had this moment where I asked myself the question, what are you doing? <laughs> you ever had a moment when you feel like a three-year-old got into your mind and your whole body and started like, 
living your life, you know? It was one of those moments for me. And so I reminded myself, okay, this is just you wrestling. Oh, by the way, you're a pastor. And the funny part was, across the gymnasium, one of our elders is sitting watching this side. You know, it's great. And then about four other Brookside families, you know, it's a tiny moment. But here's the deal. The fact that I felt so compelled to be so defensive in that moment said a whole lot more about what was going on inside of me than it did about what was going on in front of me. And I had to ask myself this question. The same question you have to ask yourself. Hey, what's going on in your heart? Why do you do that? That's just a small example, but it led me to a bigger question for myself. Jeff, who has your heart? Verse 2. He says, Paul James writes, you desire, but you do not have. You you kill or or you hate. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And now James is going to kind of change direction here a little bit, and he's going to talk about a prayer life. He's going to say, hey, you're selfish. This is how it's going to affect your prayer life. So I'm going to put a roadblock for you. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you, you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, it's all about you. If you want to know if your prayers are selfish, just a quick turn here. Ask yourself this question. If God answered all of my prayers, who would be impacted? If God answered all of my prayers, boom. Who would be impacted? Verse 4. Such strong language. He says, you adulterous people. Remember, he loves these people. This is his church. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or hostility against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, anyone who chooses to invite that kind of wisdom from chapter 3, Anyone who chooses to invite that kind of wisdom to be that close, to be closest to them, they become an enemy of God. Now think about this text. He's just said to these people, you adulterous people. I mean, there's some shock value here. James is basically saying to them, hey, church, you're like a cheating spouse. You're unfaithful on the spiritual front because you're putting your desires before God's desires. And your heart, he's saying, don't just give a part of your heart to God. Give all of your heart to God. Don't just go halfway. No, he's saying, I want you to be completely submitted to God. And so if you have your desires are leading the way in your life and not the desires of God, then you really have to ask the question, okay, who is my God? So ask this question, church. First time, is there any part of my life that God doesn't have? Just think about the different areas of your life. Think about your time. Does God have your time? Like, do you say, God, I want to honor you with my days. I don't get that many I want to honor you for my time. My money. Do you feel like you're, I'm just a steward? I've been entrusted with the things that God has graciously given me. I'm a steward of his resources. Think about your eyes. Are you honoring God with your eyes? Does he have those? Think about your mouth, the words that you say. Does God have you in that area of your life? James goes on through this passage and he continues to lead us. Look at verse 5. He says, or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Now don't be confused by this passage, that, that verse. God is not jealous because we have anything that he needs. God's not up in heaven going, man, 
really covet in your car. It's like out. No, that, that's not what it's saying at all. God isn't jealous about you, but He is jealous. And this is good news, church. He is jealous for you. You walk out into the hall today after the service, you'll see kids running all around the place, which is a great thing. But know this, there's not a single kid in this building that has anything that their parent intrinsically needs. But yet, you have all of these parents that so want to bless and to lead and to love and to protect. Why? It's because they want what's best for their child. God looks at you and I, and He is not jealous for what we have, but He is jealous for us because He knows, I know, what, I know what's best for you. Then we come to verse 6. And you could think of it like this. It's a bit of a, a hinge here. Now, he's gone from it. He's saying, very strong language. Hey, you adulterous people. This is your heart. And you're giving your heart to these other things. But now he's going to say, he's going to take us to this place. Okay, if you want to know, how do you give your heart? Jeff, you named off different areas. I do have a couple of those that I would say, God doesn't have my heart. Okay, how do you get there? That's where he goes next. Look at verse 6. This is such good news. It says, but he gives us more grace. In other words, he gives us another chance, and then another chance. Church, this is the core of the gospel, that he died for us. Jesus Christ modeled this so well for us. He submitted his life to the cross so that you and I could be forgiven, that we could stand in his grace, stand in his mercy. And what does he do? He gives us even more Grace. You might be here today and you would say, I'm just carrying so much guilt. I'm carrying so much shame. Maybe you're in the midst of a conflict. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in the midst of a conflict, I don't feel real close to God. I feel like my heart's pretty dirty. And maybe that's you this morning. And I just want you to know, please hear these verses. It says that God gives us more grace. God gives us more grace. This beautiful Romans chapter 5, it says this, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So think about that. Where sin was going this way, where sin was increasing, grace increased all the more. Where, where sin was growing, grace came in and kept going above and above and above. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Know that if you come here today and you're filled with guilt and shame, and God has you at the bottom, that's not a bad place to be. You're in the place to receive His grace. Now James pivots again, and it's as though he now tells us, okay, but who can experience this grace? If we don't deserve God's grace, how can we experience it? Again, what's the road for me to be able to give my heart to God? Who has your heart? Well, what's the road where I can simply say at the end of today, Yes, I've turned over every area of my life. Here's what he says. James says, this is why the scripture says, God opposes, or in other words, God stands against the proud. But he shows favor to the humble. So how do you embrace humility? How do you, how do you receive this grace that Jesus Christ gives so freely? That's where he goes next. So if God stands in opposition to the proud, those that say, hey, I've got this. Hey, I'm most important. My needs, my desires, my pleasures. I'm number one. That's pride. And James says this, but if you'll humble yourself and if you'll say, Lord, would you forgive me? Lord, would you 
Allow me to know you. Lord, would you pour out your grace on me? Lord, I've been on top and now I make you on top. Now James is going to tell us, okay, how, how then do you receive this grace? He says, verse 7. Again, action-oriented language, not surprising from this book. He says, hey, submit yourselves then to God. Submit or, in other words, let go. If you're playing king of your life, come off the throne. I make a horrible king for my life. Horrible king. I will lead myself astray again and again and again. James is saying this. Hey, if, if you're on the throne of your life, if you're in that seat, you should say to God, you should submit to God and say, I took your seat. And I'm sorry I took your seat. You can have your seat back again. You're much wiser than I am. You're God. You're holy. And so, Lord, I submit to you. Submit yourself then to God. And then look what he says next. It's not like this passive, hey, you know, enjoy the grace of God. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So submit yourself to God and then just kind of lay back. No. Look at his next word. Resist. Action oriented. It's aggressive language. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. This past week in our reading, we came to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and sharing this verse with my son the other night. It says this in verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And here it is. But God is faithful. God loves you. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. And we're all tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it, so that you can make it through. In other words, when you submit to God, even in the midst of temptation, God loves you enough that he will make a way out for you. So how do you resist? How do you fight temptation? One of the things we talk about around here a lot is this. We encourage you, would you please get into this book? And we don't want you to necessarily get into this book just so that you know what's in this book better. No, that's a good thing. But we want you to get into this book so that you know better the God of this book. Again, so that you'll be able to look at temptation and you'll be able to know, okay, I can recognize that for what it is. And I also recognize this is the truth. This is the truth. This is who I am. This is how God sees me. And then verse 8. I mean, this is one of those promises in Scripture that I think some of you may, this is the only reason that God wanted you to be here this morning. I believe this. Some of you just need to hear verse 8. It says this. It's a promise in the Scriptures. Come near to God, verse 8. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Think about that. That's a promise. That might be the most important thing that you hear this morning. If you come near to God, He will, not He might. If you come near to God, He will, not if He feels like it. No, no, He will. If you come near to God and you say, Lord, I've given you this area of my life and this area, but not these other two, you know what He will do? If you come to Him, submit to Him, He will come near to you. He is not distant from you. He's not against you. He's for you. On Friday morning at our men's study at 33, one of the guys leading said something that was so powerful. In the midst of fighting his own addictions, he said this. He said, I realized that I couldn't wipe knuckle my way through this. I had to depend on God. And then he went on to say, at the desire level, at the heart level, God did a work. Notice the beauty of that. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He embraced the second half of that. Okay, if I draw near to God, then God will draw near to me. God will do a work in me. And it's God doing the work by His grace. Again, He opposes the proud, 
But oh, to the, to the humble, he says, oh, come. You need my help? Okay, I'll give you my help. You're still struggling with that too. You're struggling all your life with that. But you know what? I'm going to be there for you. You're going to actually have victory in that. Because what did you do? You humbled yourself. And so I get grace to you. On Thursday, our oldest had the, the last wrestling meeting, and I was there, and I was actually behaving, which was good. And, and so we're, we're sitting there in the bleachers, and they were full that night. Um, there was three different schools participating, and, and so a lot of people, and this kid gets out of the mat, he hasn't won a single match all year long. And I've been to probably 90% of this kid's matches. I've seen him wrestle. I actually couldn't remember a time when I, I saw him get through the first period. He got pinned that quickly over and over again, which is hard on a kid, especially in middle school. But a nice kid, really polite kid, that's part of the problem, probably. Too nice. And so anyway, he's out there, and we're getting, he's getting through the first period. I turned to my friend next to me, and I said, I sure hope he wins today. And he was up six to four at the end of the first. And right as I said that, he rolls this kid over onto his back. I don't know how he did it. I don't think the kid even knows how he did it. But he rolls the kid over onto his back, and the crowd starts going nuts. People that weren't even from Carter's school were wondering who's Carter. I don't care who Carter is. Carter! Carter! It's like a Rudy movie. You know what I'm talking about? It was beautiful. And so at that moment when the crowd is just like, I can't win, I can't win, you know, the ref, boom, slams the mat. Carter pins this kid. Carter lets him up real nice, you know, and shakes his hand. Such a nice kid, you know. And all this is all this is happening. The crowd is going bananas. I mean, going crazy. Cover. It was just awesome environment. And so as soon as he gets his hand raised, that little kid, he runs up. This was so cool. He runs right up the middle of the stands where his mom is sitting, and she's seen all of these moments throughout the year where this kid's gotten beat quickly in all of these matches. And he shares this moment with her. And I look down the bleachers and I'm just looking at Christina. I'm like, I'm going to start crying. This is beautiful, you know? You know what, though? Carter had no idea how many people were for him that night. He had no idea. In church, I want you to hear this. Some of you need to hear this more than anything else. God is for you. God is for you. You might feel like you've gone through season after season after season. And you've been defeated by life. Know this. When you humbly turn toward God, God draws near to you. God opposes the proud, but he invites in the humble. If you draw near to God, what will he do? He will not leave you. You make a move toward God when you're at the bottom or when you're at the top, you will have the applause of God on your life. You need to hear this. God is for you. God is for you. Finally, look at verse 8. James says, hey, if you're going to draw near to God, if, if he's going to have your heart, again, he said that you already, so you've got to submit, you've got to resist the devil. Don't be passive. It's active. But now what he's going to say is even stronger. He's going to say, you need to take your sin seriously. We all have sin in our lives, and James is going to be really clear with us. Don't just overlook your sin. Don't treat it like a pet and just continue to feed it and let it be around. No. He's going to say, take your sin seriously. Look it in the eye and deal with it. Notice what it says. These are strong words, church. So important, though. Verse 8 says, Hey, wash your hands, you sinners. And then he says, And purify your hearts, you double minded. And what's really important, though, that you understand is this is that when you draw near to God, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when James is saying, Hey, take your sin seriously, you're not fighting your sin by yourself. That's a battle you don't want to engage with. 
But what James knows to be true is this. The spirit of God, the spirit that God is jealous of, the spirit that lives in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's the spirit that gets to go to war against the sin in your life and in my life. And so James says this, hey, fight in this area. Ask yourself the question, what goes on in your mind? There's no doubt about it. You talk to yourself more than anyone else. What do you say? What do you say in your mind about the people around you? What do you say? What are the words even that come out of your mouth then? How do you treat people? How do you think about them? What James is saying as fast as this is saying, hey, wash your hands. And clean up the outside. Then he goes a little bit further and he says, hey, actually purify your heart. Who has your heart? Purify your heart at the deepest level, at the core level. He's saying, I want you to submit to God. He isn't advocating, don't know this. Look at verse 9. He says, greed takes it even further. Greed, mourn, and wail. And then he says, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now notice he's not advocating that Christians walk around like doom and gloom. Oh, it's the worst in my life. No, he's not saying that. What he is saying is this. When you take your sin seriously, all of a sudden the grace of God will be so appealing to you. When you understand, I've got a problem. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I need you. That's true. When you realize, okay, when I grieve, when I will, when I mourn, when I see God, I'm sorry. All of a sudden, I am so much closer to giving all of me to God than I ever was when I just treat my sin like it's no big deal. So he says, take your sin seriously. Because it's a way to get you to that place where you're giving your heart to God. Again, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Look at how he ends though. Verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord. And here's the good news. And he will lift you up. Again, it's his work. It's him accomplishing this in, in your life. You know, I just want to say this to you this morning. If, if you come in here, as I say, maybe I talk about your time or your money or your you know, your talents, or whatever you've got, the different areas of your life, your eyes and your words, and you feel like some conviction on that, like, I've given God this area of my life, but I've not given God this area of my life, and I'm not given him this area of my life. If you feel conviction on that, see that as a gift from God. I'm walking with my youngest, and he wants to run out in the middle of the street, and I put my arm out and say, don't do that. My words to him are not out of anger. They are out of love. If God convicts you, that's his gift to you. Say, let's deal with this. Because if you'll let me into this, you're going to experience so much more than me. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be humbled. But when you read this passage, you realize this. That in the place where God humbles us sometimes, it's the place where we find Him the most. It's a sweet spot. And so I hope that you see this text as a way of saying, okay, this is a great invitation for me. This is an invitation for me to say, okay, God, I give you this part of my life. For some of you, you may need to give God your entire life because He's never had it. You put your faith in Christ. And so I want to close this way. I want to go back to our original question, and it's this question. What causes fights and quarrels among you, James, is going to take us again. Don't just look at the paint on the car. He's saying, I want to go underneath the hood. We've got to talk about the heart. And so let me ask the question, in your relationships, are you okay being wrong? In your relationships, when you screw up, are you okay being the first to say, I'm sorry? I struggle with that. 
that, by the way. In the different areas of your life, to have any where you just need to say, God, I give you this. You have 100% of my heart in this area, but not in this area. Let's pray now. Let's just say, Lord, we want to give you all of us. And oh, Lord, we thank you for the fact that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. You oppose the proud. But if we would humble ourselves in this so would you pray with you? Lord, we come to you this morning. First of all, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that James, though it's a hard-hitting book, Lord, we know where we stand. And so, Lord, this morning, we just simply want to say to you in this moment, we want to say, Lord, we give you all of us. God, I pray to the area that the person right now is thinking, I don't know if I can give up that. God, help us not to cheat ourselves. You are the wisest, you are the smartest. Help us to give all of ourselves to you. And for the person maybe that's here this morning, and they would say, I've never given the core of me, I've never given my heart to Jesus. Might you say to him this morning very simply, I give you all of me. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for how you died and proved that you were God through the resurrection. Lord, we love you. We pray you lead us now. We pray this in Christ's name.